Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across Miami's campus. Today, we are joined by a man of many titles, Reggie Williams. He's a former NFL legend, writer, civil rights activist, and Disney executive. Reggie Williams, thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast today. You're on campus for the Hayes Writer Series, um, hosted by the English department here on campus because of your book um, that you wrote, Resilient by Nature. Um, So just thanks for joining us and taking this time out. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate all the hospitality that's been shown to me here at William and Mary College, or is it university, you know, to really... uh, embrace uh, someone coming into this community to really share their uh, life through the words of uh, my book, Resilient by Nature. So I really appreciate a receptive audience. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by your story. Can you tell us how, how do you define resilience for someone who is still exploring that topic? How is that an idea that you would express? Yeah, part of resilience is the ability to overcome adversity. And the the best uh, epitome of being resilient is when you can turn a negative situation into a positive. And that when the negativity is erupting all around you, you can still see the positiveness of the circumstance that you're searching for that. So the resilient person is always trying to find the positive in a negative circumstance. And you've had a lot of challenges in your life. You've had a lot of great achievements in your life. When you're facing these obstacles that you that you have, do you feel like that's something that is within you, you the character that you own, or do you feel like this is a trait that you have developed over the course of time? I think it's been a trait that I've developed over a period of time, but the foundation of it, you know, preceded me because it all, for me, Every accomplishment is driven by love. And um, I had um, parents that were uh, very much in my corner for anything and everything that I needed. And, you know, that's, that's a great childhood uh, to have parents that believe in you uh, even before you start believing in yourself. And there were many times that my parents uh, uh, facilitated my pursuit of academics because of the attention they made to how I spent my time. So during the weekends, we all went to the library. Um, There was a time where my father and mother were both getting their high school diplomas while we ourselves were in high school. And, you know, so it would be the family sitting around the table having study time before dinner. So um, I was really fortunate uh, to have my mom and dad Um, And uh, for those who uh, don't have uh, parents, you know, that's really a necessity to seek out the love in your life. You know, it can be from other family members. It can be from, you know, hopefully institutions, could be your church. It could be a wellness organization that a college campus like Wilma and Mary has, an opportunity for people to reach out and find the love and caring and see how reciprocal it is because to receive love and challenges you to return that love. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about gift giving and it seems that you have so many gifts to share and to provide. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, I was born in Flint, Michigan, and I was born hearing impaired. 
And so if you don't hear sounds, it's impossible for you to repeat sounds. So I spent the early part of my childhood also going to Michigan School for the Deaf. And unfortunately, it was actually called Michigan School for the Deaf and Dumb at the time. So it had a certain stigma Mm -hmm. to it. But the greatest gift given to me was the professional benefit that I got from the speech therapist and the doctors who were really taking the shy, insecure a little boy and giving him the tools to succeed. I mean, what a great gift. And so um, when I made the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, the very first thing I did before I even looked for an apartment to stay at, I uh, looked in the phone book and found the Cincinnati Speech and Hearing Center and immediately drove there and volunteered. That became my, uh, my first uh, act of giving back uh, to Cincinnati. And, and ultimately, before my 14-year career ended, I ended up being a Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, a Byron Wizard White uh, Humanitarian of the Year, Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, and was a Cincinnati City Councilman even while I was still playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. And that is a community giving me the gift of leadership. And it was something that uh, I took to heart and tried to create gifts of giving with some of the legislation that I had an opportunity to sponsor. So, um, But it all does begin with me, with uh, the speech therapist at Michigan School for the Deaf that really took uh, this guy, shy little kid and taught me how to speak again. I mean, I had a horrible stutter. I still have a little bit of a lisp, but, you know, certainly most of what I've accomplished has been because I've been given the gift of speech. That's amazing. And then I'm just so curious. You In your book, you talk about, you know, the the desire to play for Michigan and, and the disappointments that that resulted out of that experience and ultimately how that led you uh, to Dartmouth and, and your other other experiences. In those moments, what is going through your mind? What is that narrative? How are you embracing those situations then? And over the course of time, has that changed and how you face challenges now? Well, to retrace uh, where I was, all my childhood, I knew that I was going to go to the University of Michigan. I mean, that's where um, my parents wanted me to go. That's where uh, I learned early on what I needed to do uh, academically to qualify uh, for an academic ride because it was a state institution. And um, I was playing sports and playing football, but at that time I considered myself more of an aspiring doctor than I was an aspiring football player. But when Bo Schimbeckler, who up to that moment was my hero, because I love the Wolverines, but in that moment, when he came to my school and told me to do him a favor, that if I did come to University of Michigan, not to come out for his football team, that destroyed a childhood dream just like that. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm adrift in terms of what my future is going to look like. And when I got home to tell my father, you know, what I thought was horrible news, my father basically dismissed Bo Schimbeckler and basically said whatever it took for him 
to uh, financially ensure that I can afford to go to Dartmouth, he was going to get an extra job. And so he did. And so that's a gift given to me by a loving parent. And as a student, that's why I try to excel, not only in the classroom, but fortunately in football, because Bo Schimberkler said I wasn't good enough. By the time I got to Dartmouth, I wanted to prove to everyone I was good enough. And that chip on my shoulder was my secret weapon. And I played much better uh, as a college uh, player than anyone ever expected. Um, and uh, ultimately uh, became the only African-American since the Ivy League started in 1954 to become an All-American and is now in the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh, rather than, you know, quote-unquote, hating on Bo Schimbeckler, I thank him for the gift of encouraging me to find out how good I really was. I'm really feeling that. And this is this is the boomer here, the original boomer, right? Yeah, it was the original boomer. Yeah, the, my very first uh, act of, uh, of change, I'm a, I'm a different person, was on the very first uh, day of practice at uh, Dartmouth College. And uh, there were a couple of white players who back in 1972 uh, still harbored... Uh, certain feelings about uh, African-Americans that they didn't want to be in the same locker room or shower with me. And so that combined with what Bo Schimbeckler said, uh, I had a chance to hit him in practice to show my displeasure with his uh, attitude. And it was such a hit, first time I ever hit anyone in anger. It was such a loud hit that it just boomed all across the valley, the green hills of New Hampshire, mm -hmm. and that became my nickname. And even now, uh, many of my friends from Dartmouth will still call me Boom or Boomer. And in your book, you talked about growing up in Flint, Michigan. And one thing that really stuck with me is uh, the experience of your mom picking you up from school, elementary school, and telling you about the assassination of JFK. And also in that same time, um, the Birmingham Four, and how that story really stuck with you and that sense of uncertainty that you had about government in the future. And can you share with me, with everything that's going on now in our world, how, how do you approach these issues? Yeah, it's, this is a crazy time, the unknown. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic has created this unknown, uh, whether it's um, different variations of the, like the Delta you know, variant. Uh, and the unknown is scary. You know, people want to have certain certainty about certain things. But one of the lessons that I've learned in my life through dealing with unexpected adversity is this too shall pass. And um, one of the worst aspects of when the unexpected happens is when we overreact. And then the overreaction becomes a negative spiral in and of itself. And uh, a big part of seeking assurance is by the love of other people. And your opportunity to give gifts and receive gifts is one of the ways that you can deal with the unknown. And I uh, certainly want to encourage everyone to, uh, to not self-isolate during these times. You know, seek the company of humanity. 
because it's where the treasure treasure trove of love does exist. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories that you shared um, at your presentation at Sadler was the opportunity that you had working um, after your football career. Well, I guess it would still be your football career, but with the NFL. Um, and when it was, was it the Pro Bowl or the Super Bowl in uh, L.A.? Super Bowl, yes. Yeah. Super, Super Bowl, Bowl 27. And um, working with the communicating between the Bloods and the Crips a little bit. Can you can you share that story? And I feel like that's the story that really illustrates that sense that you have the understanding of all of the people and the roles that they play in the community and coming together and that sense of harmony um, and sharing gifts and love too. Well, the occasion was Super Bowl 27. And that was uh, the Super Bowl that was played in Pasadena. Is uh, most notably known as the Super Bowl that Michael Jackson performed at halftime. But it was also the year following, the, it was the first Super Bowl following the Rodney King riots. And so the NFL hired me to be uh, director of community relations to really to articulate a uh, solution for uh, the California community that was concerned about the NFL coming in with all their high rollers, taking over all the public facilities, taking over the roads, and then leaving and leaving nothing behind. And so we wanted to really create something that was unique and special. And the concept that I came up with was NFL Youth Education Town, a multifaceted uh, education and recreation facility for the most at-risk kids which was in the most at-risk neighborhood in South Compton, California. But in order to get this accomplished, uh, we had to create a, a place that was safe for uh, the Bloods and the Crips and family members of both. And so we had to get a truce so that neither uh, gang would tag the facility, which then would create a conflict uh, for the other gang. And so I was blindfolded and uh, driven down to an unknown location and marched downstairs of a secret house I couldn't find if I wanted to, if try to save my life, and uh, was able to speak to these men, many of whom were gangbangers, many of whom were murderers, all of whom were armed, and to talk to them about the future of their loved ones. Their sons, their daughters, their little brothers, their little sisters, their little cousins, mm-hmm. and how their future can be different, can be better, can create all kinds of possibilities through now having an opportunity to have the best of technology that NFL Youth Education Town was going to provide. And the me- meeting was facilitated by Hall of Famer Jim Brown. Uh, who, after he retired, had a gang mediation organization called America I Can. So he gave me the gift of opening the door. And um, it's amazing how uh, the love of of kids is a way to overcome uh, the image of the gangbankers of the Bloods and the Crips. It seems that there are a lot of truces that need to be taking place at this day and age. So if there was any message that you would want, you know, the youth, the students of William & Mary, really 
everyone to know, what would that message be that you had to share? Well, I will, I will share, uh, and I will close this out with uh, Invictus. You know, as a, as a call to everyone out there, find your own poem. Be a poem. Be poetry. Be something that you believe in that through uh, the most trying of tribulations will give you a platform to survive. And so when I learned Invictus by William Ernest Henley, I believed in the words. And so when I faced adversity, but you believe you're capable of overcoming adversity, then your belief system is half the battle. So I will leave you with Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit, from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I may have failed or cried aloud, but under the blooding of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. To Woman Mary College, I thank you for an opportunity to speak wellness with you. Reggie Williams, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Eric Garrison, Colin Frost, Jenny Helmendaller, Ben Heath, Daria Moody, and me, Lindsay Hacker.